that the Transportation Security Administration will no longer enforce the federal mandate requiring masks in all U.S. airports and onboard aircraft. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve... The liberal dictation of our lives is starting to crumble, fellas. Yeah. It's really coming down. No, you know what I love about that uh, that intro audio, which was, you know, if you, if you couldn't guess it from an airplane, obviously mid-flight saying that the you know, mask mandate is over. I love to picture some lib <laughs> sitting in the middle seat. Triple masked. Triple masked by the bathroom at the back of the plane with their arms crossed furious because <laughs> yeah. you well, know there had there had to be some i mean totally. that's the thing is it's, it's it's really a simple you know problem there's a simple solution to this problem is if you're a lib and you want to be able to force people to wear masks on flights just build your own airline yeah like, build your own airline didn't you read Air. didn't you read the terms of service yeah at delta i mean come on guys uh, they're, they're not requiring the mask so just build your own if you want to yeah, wear a mask it's not that tough just build your own airline well without the libs don't you kind of think that maybe air travel would harken back to its glory days? I mean, I always, always wish I could just have a cigarette when I'm on a flight. Like, <laughs> how smooth the way would that air be? travel was meant. To because be. they've got like the top, like top class air filters that you can get your hands on, like air filtration systems beyond any commercial grade or on your airplane. Like it circulates air every like I don't know, like ten to twelve seconds completely fresh airs in the cabin so you can just like you could have a fucking cigar in there have a great time and it's just like circulated right on out in a suit and tie the way gentlemen were meant to travel i mean you know how great how great that would be you just have your drink you have a cigarette like a little bit of self-respect i don't care how long the flight (laughs) is a long flight and a little self-respect i have but i have one little wrinkle about the situation you know everyone cheered but to me it made me a little sad because it kind of revealed everyone knew this was a charade and we all put up with it like i'm i'm just as culpable and guilty as i you know i was like i will just as long as i can just get on my plane go you know i need to get some work done wherever i need to fly for work i'll put up with a mask or whatever. well you didn't have a choice to throw your ass off of it i mean that sucks it's like you know that we're in a situation where reasonable people will put up with unreasonable things bingo it sucks it does suck no, you're right. There is sort of that that downside to it. And you look at those, you know, flight attendants who had to enforce this policy who, you know, didn't agree with it. And like I think uh, I think DeSantis is a great example of being like, "No, I don't care about your unreasonable bullshit." Like when when I remember some lib was dressing up as like the Grim Reaper and going to beaches and being yeah. like, "Oh, DeSantis is trying to kill people because he's not forcing people to double mask out on a beach." Right. And he was like, no, you're unreasonable. And like they're like, oh, DeSantis is, is is partisan because he's trying to vaccinate the old people first. It's like he just doesn't care about the unreasonable shit. So yeah, I mean, it's nice. Know, it's nice great. to have folks like that. And and listen, we're going to get into this in some detail mm-hmm. here later on in the program. We have a monster. It's a special program, by the way, fellas. It's a special program. It we're is here on Wednesday. We're going to do a three episode week. 
This one is sponsored by Masterworks, our friends at Masterworks. You'll hear a word from them later. Uh, we have great guests today. You may have heard uh, of Ennis Cantor Freedom. He was the NBA basketball star, uh, played a number of years in, in the league, who is basically blackballed by the NBA for his comments about human rights around the world. It started with Turkey, ultimately ended up in China, and that's where the NBA drew the line. He yeah, got- he, he wore a pair of shoes calling out Nike for running, like, Uyghur sweatshops in China. And I was yeah. Like, wow. No, the guy's real, real, right? I mean, he, he gives zero shits. Yeah. But he's also a very... Uh, good-tempered guy. Like, he, you know, typically you imagine people being, like, very angry and sort of, you know, I mean, you think of activist types. Right. This guy's the exact opposite of that, right? He's just, like, a sunny, unbelievably affable character who just has the ability to to bring people around. We talked some NBA. He was being uh, escorted around the great state of North Dakota by our good friend Senator uh, Kevin Kramer, Mm -hmm. who will also join us on the program. And, uh, and I think you'll really enjoy that interview. Um, so anyway, we got a big show, but we also have, we have Taylor Lorenz talk here, mm-hmm. yeah. which is, I think, primarily why we're here, right? It's great stuff. Uh, we've got the mask mandate stuff that we'll talk about. A couple other things. Maybe we'll start with the reviews. Wait, wait, wait before we get to the reviews. <clears throat> so McDaniel, who's, who's a producer on our show, uh, did this very helpful Ombudsman fact check. We're starting. This is a new feature that we've done now yeah. two 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 episodes in a row. And I like it, you know, because we you know we pride ourselves on being a source of of, of factual information. We don't bury it at the end of the show. Bingo, we do it right up top, right up top. And uh, he he did this great fact check, folks. So it says on Tuesday's show, Smug referred to St. Peter's Square taking over the White House as it related to Russia controlling the Trump administration. Mr. Smug's reference was to a Time magazine cover that showed St. Basil's Cathedral in Red, in Red Square. Square merged with the White House, not St. Peter's Square, which is the Vatican. Ruthless regrets the error. Wow. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's, that's nice. That's and big of you. Yeah. And it's, you know, here around the you know the Easter season and everything, it's nice to clear that sort of thing up. I, I mean, because if nothing else, this is this is one of the last bastions of real news. Yeah. This is not yeah. big news. You'd get real stuff here, folks. All right. So let's do some five stars. I promise... We won't make anybody cry today. Uh, I was pretty close last time. I think we all what were an pretty close. Review. We all were pretty close last time, uh, but we've got some uh, some different stuff. Duncan, why don't you lead us off with some, uh, you know, sort of noteworthy, fun stuff? Okay, okay. This one is from Ray Ray NYC eleven. I learned a valuable lesson today and felt it was my duty to alert the minions. Exercise extreme caution. When lifting weights and listening to the Variety program, I was midway through chest press when the social media intern, I think his name is Smug, started breaking down how to take down a kangaroo. I nearly dropped the weights on my head when it came to punting poor little Joey out of his pouch. I'm a day one listener despite not being able to hear Smug the entire first episode. Keep up the great work. (laughs) Yeah, the audio's improved a little. We have. We have. We've come a long way here on the program. This one, uh, Ashbrook, I think uh, you need to take. One, it's of a lengthier nature, but two, it concerns you. Okay, sure, sure. And deliver it in the, like, you know, the, the, the radio voice. Give us, give us the good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, there okay. There's <laughs> a register. There it is. <laughs> this is a setup. This five-star review is brought to us by Capiche, question mark, exclamation mark. 
<laughs> Let's get the title. What's the title? The title is, in quotes, that's borderline right there. We're going to get a letter on that, close quote. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, here is the letter. Comfortably smug, ruthless variety program, dear sir. Ours is a big tent party. So I have good-naturedly indulged the Ohio nationalism of the program's <laughs> production intern. <laughs> so good. This is so good. And nothing that follows should be construed by my fellow loyal listeners as meaning any disrespect whatsoever to that great state or any other Midwestern locale. Nevertheless, Mr. Ashbrook's recent remark on the subject of the Italian government's lack of fiscal <laughs> discipline. Hold, hold on, I'm going to stop. Do you you said Italian. Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Open quote. They're giving away spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> Close quote. Well, that needs to be addressed. <laughs> we need to get. We need to start getting our episodes on video because we are like dying here. I totally forgot about that. I did too. I did too. My grandfather and his family came to this country from Italy with little but clothes on their backs. He was a productive member of society, a World War II U.S. Army veteran, boy, God bless him, and a law-abiding citizen, a taxpayer, family man, and leader in our church, and, sir, a proud American. <laughs> oh, yes. During his lifetime, his family of proud Americans met frequently for Sunday dinners that included spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> Many people like other foods. Some, for example, like Grater's ice cream. That's a direct shot. Very, yeah, direct. very fair. Very fair. Very fair. Turnabout is a fair play. I have enjoyed it myself. Okay, okay. But growing up on either but growing up on either does not make one love this country of ours more than growing up on the other. This guy is about reconciliation. Yeah, yeah he no, is. he's bringing us all together. He really, Sir, I do not wish to discourage this young man. He is clearly highly intelligent. True. And makes many insightful points, also true. However, he will need a positive influence if he is going to mature to his full potential. I appreciate your prompt attention to this matter. Sincerely yours, capiche, exclamation mark. Uh, so so, so I, 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 I just have a, a, a little bit to add. Yeah, okay. I would like to verify the witness statement. For years now, a growing number of my constituents have been of Italian descent, and I've come to know them very well. They have honored me with their support and with their friendship. Indeed, I can proudly say that some of my very best friends are Italian-Americans. However, Mr. Chairman, at this time, very unfortunately, I have to leave these proceedings in order to preside over a very important committee, my own committee. But before I leave, I do want to say this, that these hearings on the mafia are in no way whatsoever a slur upon the great Italian <laughs> Because I can state from my own knowledge and experience that Italian-Americans are among the most loyal, law-abiding, patriotic, hardworking American citizens in the land. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who is that? Oh, That's the Godfather. Godfather. Oh man! Oh, this is about because from the time of the great Christopher Columbus up through the time of Enrico Fermi, right up until the present day, Italian Americans have been pioneers in building and defending our great nation. Yeah, all time moment. Better said. Well, Better listen, said. listen, Capiche. I've just got to tell you that was very well written, but I think as you've heard uh, over the last ten seconds that smug is probably not the right guy to observe my behavior. 
<laughs> so it sounds like a full mea culpa, a wonderful letter. I knew we were going to get one. I mean, that's a fantastic five stars. Oh, yeah, it's, it's so good. It's so great good. content right there. <laughs> great content. Smug, you've warned us about the potential for a recession. I have. I have. You watch these things closely. I do. Well, a lot of people who listen to us and listen to any other program are now listening to other ideas of how to invest their money. Mm -hmm. And inflation, Duncan, you've been keeping your eye on the inflation. I have. It's the worst since Jimmy Carter. It's through the roof. Experts suggest that investing in alternative assets that historically thrive in high inflation environments is the way to go here. That's right. So what do we do? How do you know? Well, in fact, there's one unexpected alternative asset that appreciates by 23% annually on average when inflation is above 3%, like it is right now. You know what that is, fellas? What is it? Art. Incredible. Art. But wait, you say that art can only be purchased by rich people. Not anymore. Not anymore. Masterworks.io. You've heard us talk about it. You go to masterworks.art backslash ruthless and you go and get in line. Masterworks.art slash ruthless. That's it. All right, so let's start with a scalp. Huh? It's been a while. Another ruthless scalp. It's been a while. Uh, it turns out, as Axios.com reported yesterday, CNN Plus looks doomed. And we, we told everyone first. <laughs> we, we told did. everyone, like, the, the whole Malone Calling out Stelter, we 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 told you, folks. Yeah, we told you it was coming. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery has suspended all external marketing spend for CNN Plus and has laid off CNN's longtime chief financial officer as it weighs what to do with the subscription streaming service moving forward. Wow. Five five sources tell Axios. Five 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 sources. Axios has really had this beat covered. They're real inside yeah. of CNN. Yeah. And honestly, I think it says a lot when they get rid of the CFO and stuff. Yeah. I think we kind of know where this is going. Well, but here's <laughs> the thing. Here's the thing. I think we reported a couple of weeks. It may have been from Axios that they had spent something like 200 two, million, 200 yeah. million on marketing this Boy, that's, thing. That's yeah. not nothing. That is an insane amount. Well, so here's the thing. After $200 million expended on this adventure, CNN Plus has roughly 150,000 subscribers. <laughs> Ouch. I'm going to do the math. Was that $160 a pop? No, no. The, the subscriptions it, are it, like four bucks. But no, bucks. But, but if they spent $200 million for 150,000 subscribers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, your math. You're the math guy here. It's like 160 a pop. I mean. And how much is a yearly subscription? $5? <laughs> Was that like a 40-year break even? On a- <laughs> Holy shit. That, that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you get fired if you're a CFO. They're like, CFO, you are drunk. You have to leave the building. Security will help you gather your things. I, I don't think they let him come clear his desk, to be honest with you. Um, so it turns out, like, let me just read a couple of other things. Other high-level positions at Warner Media across different uh, business functions are likely to be eliminated to cut costs and streamline leadership in the coming weeks. Fearing regulatory scrutiny, former Warner Media and former uh, parent AT&T and Discover avoided direct contact communications with CNN wow. until this deal is officially closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, smart, smart move by them, by the way. Very smart. Uh, Discovery executives felt that they made their priorities publicly clear 
CNN executives didn't feel corporate pressure from Warner, Warner Media to pause the rollout. Um, Dude, you there's don't need like, pressure. You don't need pressure when you just served up a $200 million cash bonfire for 150,000 subscribers. I mean, looking at this, the details they have here, there could be like, honestly, very beyond just, just it looks terrible. There could be like legal issues. Like, it's tough. This, this sounds basically like Discovery was basically in the dark and had no idea how bad the situation was. I can't imagine investors there are, are, are very pleased with this situation. I mean, I don't know how this whole thing went down. Far be it for me to speculate about the, the deal. But, but I, what I can say is that, look, this was a product of Jeff Zucker. That was very, very mm-hmm. public. That this was his view. Remember, he brought in Chris Wallace with a high dollar contract, right? Right. And they all felt like this was CNN's future. Uh, uh, listen, the best thing that happened to Zucker is he was knocking on them pipes before this thing went right. down. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe it w- maybe it was by design. I mean, I thought the most interesting line was the last one you read about uh, it was basically like trying to pass blame around internally for uh, we they weren't they weren't given notice like Thelma and Louise didn't hit the brakes therefore (laughs) (laughs) it's their fault I mean this is this is killer I want I want follow-up on this fearing regulatory regulatory scrutiny former Warner Media former parent AT&T and Discovery avoided direct communication about CNN strategy until the deal officially closed like yeah, I look. There's going to be some problems. There's going to be some drama. I'm loving this. Who knows the way this thing goes down? But I got to tell you, CNN Plus is like the Titanic of like, media deals. I mean, just it on is. the face it's of it, great, great I, imagery. I, I, like you know, we always discuss how uh, the left has basically gone to their own like information silo of like, oh, you know, they only see, they smell their own farts, they only hear yeah. yes men. CNN Plus, who the hell would think that's a good idea? Nobody. The whole concept is, oh, Don Lemon has a primetime show. Maybe he's Anthony Bourdain, too. Let's put him on TV. Let's let people yeah. in the inside of Don Lemon. Nobody fucking cares. And nobody cares. likes him. Like, nobody when cares. You, when, when you've Can lost, I tell you a like, Don Lemon story? Can no, I tell go you for it. I want to hear this. A personal Don Lemon oh, story? Oh, yes. I made the mistake of going to a CNN brunch after one of these dinners that oh, they have in yeah, Washington. Yeah. CNN brunch, man. That it was re- like uh, <laughs> they used to have those things after the White House Correspondents they did, Dinner. They did. I went to one, and I was standing in line with a friend of mine uh, to get to get a Bloody Mary, like most people most like people a gentleman. do. And out of nowhere, like we waited in line. We must have waited in line for 15 minutes. Out of nowhere, Don Lemon comes, and he says, Hey, guys, i got to make a flight. Uh, can I just sneak in front of you? And I mean, oh, we weren't going to make a scene. This is an insane excuse. We, we weren't going to make a scene because you know it's a CNN party. Was he going to to go? He's getting a roadie. So, so he got so he got in front of us. He got his drink, and I was there for another hour. I left before Don Lemon. No. Yes. So he didn't need to go to the airport. I think that's just that's a lesson here. That's a lesson here. Lied to our faces. Is you, you got to stand. Conservatives got to stand and fight. <laughs> You didn't fight hard enough. <laughs> I'd have been like, hell no, get to the back of the line. What are you, well, the, flying southwest? Get the, a drink on the plane. The first mistake The first mistake was going to the party. Yeah, yeah I don't think you're going to get another brunch. invite, pal. I, CNN brunch. Was, I, I don't think I would ever get an invite to that. It would be a ball, though, to be there. Can you imagine? Like, that's what they're doing. Is, is, how, could, how can CNN 
figure spending $200 million to market CNN Plus when they've lost, what, 70% yeah. of their viewers since, so, since Trump? They, they do They're put, like, yeah, let's, let's give more content. They People do, clearly want this. They do put on, put on a good party at the conventions. Oh, the CNN I mean, Grill? It, the CNN Grill is, is always one of the top top venues for the conventions. I'd, like, really to, I'd like to have a ruthless grill. Frankly, I think the Republican they got a National Committee well, could think about that. They got a grill? That. What are they doing? They got like pulled pork and such? Is it like a real deal That's grill? That's a bar, it? essentially. Oh, okay. It's, but All it's right. inside the perimeter and you up. can hang out. And, you know, it, it, CNN has done it for years, so people like just do it. I think but, ruthless like if, can do it. I, well, let's I, we talk we to can the, replicate that. We need to talk to the Republican National Committee about a ruthless uh, event of some kind. Yeah, folks, Mexican reach event. out to the RNC and demand that ruthless be given a uh, 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 carte uh, blanche uh, uh, to do whatever we yeah. want. Yeah, at RNC, a pig picking at every debate. Yeah, <laughs> comfortably sure mug keynote address. <laughs> Ron is gonna love this. <laughs> but look, I, just to put a bow on this. The thing that has always confounded me about CNN in recent years is they always send those press releases that were like, oh, you know, record revenue or whatever. And you keep watching their ratings fall further and further, their viewership fall further and further. And like they were still bragging about how well they were doing under Zucker, like after it had become super obvious that like a little rinky dink program like this one was quadrupling their primetime audience. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But But were they so disjointed in their own world that they ultimately thought that was true like it wasn't just spin and that you could actually people were clamoring for more and that's the thing is uh, everyone knows everyone knows what a disaster cnn is how much they've been losing viewers because like i remember when i told my mom i was like hey we have like more listeners than cnn has viewers and she was super unimpressed she was like okay i mean yeah, right. I just you think got, you got high listeners. <laughs> I just think they drank their own Kool Aid, right? Like around all the RussiaGate stuff and everything when their ratings were through the roof in the Trump era, and they started to believe it's that like actually happened. us who are really good at covering this stuff, the stuff that we're making up. We're really, really good and at just it. Gaslighting libs, right? The whole time. Right, right, right. And that you know we can just keep pumping this forever. I think they really bought into that, and when they launched this service, they're like, "This is the next." You know, we're, we're going to get into your parents, your lib parents and relatives uh, heads constantly through a streaming and it, service. And it's well you know? because Zucker, Zucker, the thing about him is he had the self-awareness to realize that like Trump equals ratings. Right. So he was like uh, every, you know, during the primary, he was like every Trump rally, you know, start to finish every second, put it on TV. Trump wins. And he's like, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to play both sides because we have like no values or anything. <laughs> Now we're going to be like the resistance channel yeah. to milk ratings. I mean, honestly, I think if they would have had this streaming service during the Trump era around, they would have killed it. Yep. I think they would have killed it. But it's because without without Trump, the media is like at a loss. Right. And CNN is really the other thing. They've really taken their audience for granted. Mm. I mean, it's all it's all fictional content, though. That's the problem, right? I mean, look, we're talking about this from an entertainment standpoint, like we talk about the variety program or right. anything else. Like you're talking about who is watching, how many viewers, whatever. But like their underlying business model is the wolf blitzer standing in the middle of Baghdad type right. stuff, That's right? right? It's, it's like, no, we're the news business. And during this era, they were the furthest thing from the news business. Right. There's basically no publication of any size that covered less actual news than CNN. Right. And, and that's I, what the problem is. Well, yeah, but I mean, half their, half their audience's favorite book is Harry Potter, and they think they're Hermione Granger. And, like, these people live in a fantasy world. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. Like, the, I don't even know how to react to that, me, by me the way. Either. <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, that's like... <laughs> 
Well, even you've never seen that on Twitter. They compare everything to Dumbledore and hey, hold on. Harry Potter. I, I, I got to get my what, eight-sided uh, yeah. dice out yeah. and um, see if see what Dungeons um, and Dragons you brought me I today. So I, I mean, the, the Wolf Blitzer and the I mean, Clarissa Ward right now, for example, in Ukraine, like perfect right. example. I mean, like that's not much of the programming anymore. But it she, should be all of it. She's right. good. Yeah, right. She's good. And and some one of you guys was saying earlier that they're going to replace Cuomo with a news program. Well, that was the speculation to oh, speculation today, okay. is that they would they would that that Cuomo time slot they were going to try to Well, and you heard Malone talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. When in his acquisition he was talking about how they need to get back to news away from opinion journalism and and sort of like these primetime quote unquote stars. Uh, look, I'd be very happy if that happened. Color me skeptical until it does, right? Yeah. So we'll we'll see, but we're watching it closely. It's good stuff. Here's the thing. This is the reason why you're all tuning in. Um, TikTok. So libs of TikTok had the graciousness to come on the Variety program a week ago and talk to our very own Hollywood hen about herself, about why she runs the account, what the account's about. Basically, just a whole, like a very free, I found the interview very yeah. refreshing. 25 minutes. It was just a terrific interview. Yeah. It, really was. it was just a very refreshing interview. And it was perfect that Hollywood Hen did it because it was, there was no presumptuous sort of posturing at all. It just kind of got cut right down to the, what she does and why she does it. Well, not surprisingly, as soon as she comes on the variety program, uh, the actual libs come hunting for libs of TikTok. Most notably, Taylor Lorenz. This is the woman who is perennially a number one seed in the Hack Madness tournament. Isn't that correct, Smug? Yeah, so uh, I remember when, when I was uh, uh, at, at a retreat the other week, and uh, I was, I was, we were around the campfire having some bourbons, and I was like, you know, the funny thing is, so Taylor Lorenz attended these like Swiss boarding schools, and someone told me that like she was there the same time as like, uh, Kim Jong Un's kid or something. I was like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, so Kim Jong Un's kid. You know, a bunch of dictators get sent to this like Swiss boarding school. You know, and uh, I was like, "You know what?" You know, I bet they say to their kid, "They're like, how is it that like I've done so much, given you so much, and and this girl Taylor Lorenz commits more atrocities than you? Do. I'm, I'm so disappointed. You are not a tenth of the authoritarian monster. I mean, she, she's a better terrorist. Is yeah. what you're saying? Like, how how could you allow this to happen? Yeah. <laughs> well, so Taylor Lorenz was at New York Times, where she made a cottage industry of basically posing as a Zoomer, mm-hmm. as a boomer. <laughs> The accuracy. And it rhymes, so you know it's true. <laughs> I mean, am I overstating no, it? No. So, so, like, I'm sure, like, most people, because the vast majority of our listeners are normal people, well-adjusted Americans, so they don't follow this kind of, like, nonsense, you know, step by step. But, her, and it's important to, to recognize, Taylor Lawrence got her start in journalism as the, like, uh, daily male gossip reporter. Right. And has never really left the beat. But but journalism has left the beat, and and they've elevated her from you know she got she got scattered by the New York Times. The New York Times hired her. She like shit on them once. She got her like oh uh, she dumped all the over Washington them. Post. She was like New York Times is absolute trash. But the reason the New York hell. Times sort of throttled that down is because she would do things like totally ambush people. Yeah, 
right? right. And, and she would she would ambush ordinary people. She would dox basically people on the internet and try to expose their themselves after, if their worldview wasn't something that they agreed with. Right. I think it's important to separate her tactics from the beat. A gossip beat is a typical thing that any paper in the entire world would have. But the way that you conduct yourself should be tempered by whether or not the person who the subject of your story is trying to be a private citizen or not. Are and you talking about a, somebody running for a Senate race? That's or are you talking about somebody who That's doesn't? the thing. There's absolutely zero journalistic integrity. I think a little bit of it caught up with her with the, the New York Times. There's there's this great example of uh, on that app. Uh, what, what was Clubhouse. It? Clubhouse. On Clubhouse, she said that uh, Mark Andreessen, a venture capitalist, used a racial slur and was completely wrong. He, in fact, and, and did not. And basically everyone else in this clubhouse room was like, what the hell are you talking about? It absolutely did not happen. And and she put that out there and faced no, like, repercussions from this. Like, an absolute lie. A provable false, you know, it's absolutely untrue. And she faced zero consequences. And, like, to this day, she continues just, like, you know, basically a reign of terror well, going Well, smearing people. people, right? That's her job. She, she's Her job is to smear people if their worldview doesn't align with this progressive sort of progressive zoomer ideology. But the thing is, is that like she's, she's complicated in that you can't figure out again, she's what, like 43. There, right. So well, there's many what, conflicting ages. Some people say like 49, you know, it varies from late thirties to late forties, but she, poses, no one knows because but like, she is, but she, but she has appeared in news stories saying, you know, women under the age of 35 face online harassment, which is, of course, that is a true statement. But what is not true is that she is under 35. <laughs> it can speak to it. Right. But the thing is, is like, are her victims under 35 that she like encourages? <laughs> right, right. Is that why she's on the Well, the and that's segment? what brings us to this, right? Is we, we, we it's had just weird. It's just weird. libs of TikTok on. And the backdrop of all of this is Taylor Lorenz spending probably the most notable part of her career lamenting how she, in fact, is the target of online harassment. Oh, oh last thing I forgot to add. It, it would be remiss not to mention uh, Kellyanne Conway had an issue because Taylor Lawrence was contacting Kellyanne's daughter, who's like, I don't know, was 16. Like 15 or something yeah. at the time. Yeah. It, Trying to, it, like, like what? That's the most who messages teenagers as like, hey. Oh, here's a good hot story. Let me get into the DMs so of a 16-year-old as a New York Times reporter. Well, now she's at the Washington Post. But anyway, here, here's some audio of Taylor. You feel like any little piece of information that gets out on you will be used by the worst people on the internet to destroy your life. And it's so isolating. And terrifying. It's horrifying. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's overwhelming. It's really hard. So Taylor... Meet she the just worst, described her business Meet model. the worst person on the internet. It's you in the motherfucking mirror. Right. Right? Because what she did then, after we did the Libs of TikTok segment, and others, she's done more media since, was begin to dox and try to unmask Libs of TikTok. So, 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 so Ashbrook, you're, you know journalism far better than I do. The The whole tagline was supposed to be you, you uh, what is it, uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the, the the comfortable right that's the whole thing so like Taylor Lawrence is this you know Greenwich Connecticut heiress who's had like a you know members of Congress in her family and uh 
you know, went to a Swiss boarding school. Right. There's nothing that's going to happen to her on the Internet that's going to ruin her comfortable life. This is, Be- be- this is beyond punching down. Right. When, when you go after people because you disagree with them, and purposefully, because it's no accident that she posted uh, Libs of TikTok's address. She linked to a document that contained her like address, where she works, all that information. Like it's very clear. Right. She's trying to intimidate. There. Right. Right. And the, the the thing is, is that like so this isn't even in any way journalism. Not just because it lacks any sort of like reason behind it, but like days earlier, folks on the internet had doxed Libs of TikTok. So it's not like. Taylor is doing journalism by investigating. She didn't investigate shit. This is not like, you know, all the King's men. She did zero investigative work. She was sent information by Media Matters, whose job is to basically destroy conservatives. Right. Listen to to stuff like us. In in the Taylor Lorenz article, the primary source is a Media Matters person, which is just like the most egregious... Example it's advocacy. Of, of it's advocacy. It's, it's, it's advocacy. not journalism. This, this is a partisan hit job. Right. It's, it's politics. It's not, not media. To get to Smug's original question, I guess I have another question. You guys know this better than me. Is Media Matters funded by middle class people, working class <laughs> no. people, or is it funded by millionaires? Yeah, it's a left-wing dark money group. So they, it, they're their apparatus that they use the to likes, destroy the place. likes of which we've spent a lot of time on this program talking about. Right? Yeah. It's it's indistinguishable from the Arabella Advisors type network of this dark money. You know who knows, but it's all exclusively left. And Media Matters was actually built in large part to try to bully media types into a further left coverage of of you know whatever news that they were trying to do and to protect the clintons right like that was like basically yeah because right. it's david brock right yes right yeah it's a it's a protection racket for the clintons is where it started and then it became what you're talking about which is like you know forcing the media to go take an even further left position and then also what they really want to do is to dry up the revenue source of conservative media figures right so you, that's where you get to the, the issue of like boycotts of advertisers and things like that like that's really their bread and butter that's what they do yeah so the goal here is to intimidate libs of tiktok because the content and let me just remind you if you haven't if you're not on twitter and you're not you know surfing this you don't know what libs of tiktok does i mean i hope you listen to the interview because it's sort of informative in that regard but what she does is repurpose tiktok videos that libs themselves put out about the way they're teaching school, right? About the way they're handling kids, the way the, about their views of like their own pronouns and stuff like that. Like it's it's not she's not doing anything. She's doing their job wait, for them. Wait, she's so, doing the so, job of a reporter because you could you go on CNN primetime and 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 the whole panel will tell you that CRT is only taught in in law schools. It isn't taught in elementary schools. And then you go on TikTok and these elementary school teachers are like, no, this is how I teach critical race theory. And the <laughs> video exists and it's right there. And Libs of TikTok would post it. You would learn more about what's actually happening from Libs of TikTok than you would from actual journalists. And that's the problem. That's why she's a she's a target for them. She's doing their job. She's doing their job. Well, to the point of doing their job, I mean, she she's actually uh, posted some things, some videos of Washington, D.C. area schools. And what one of the minions texted me this morning to say was that the Washington Post has never written about any of these controversies. No, of practices. course not. Of course not. No. No, because that would be doing their jobs. So what they'd rather do 
is collude with media matters to attack an anonymous Twitter account. A private citizen. Right. And you you know what strikes me, and I, I guess this is naivete, but where is what, what's with the lack of curiosity? Like, why isn't that, you know, like... Worldview, dude. It's worldview. Libs of TikTok has a lot of a lot of people who follow the account. There are a lot of parents out there who are concerned about what their children are learning at a very young age. Where is the curiosity about what's driving that? Like there is none of that in the Washington nope. Post story. No, it's no. Be- were, they weren't asking the question. Well, do the they they there was absolutely no thought given to the idea that these parents may have a valid concern, right? Why are all of these people following this anonymous Twitter account? Maybe maybe that's an indication that our worldview or our lack of coverage is a problem, right? But no, I or mean, at least what, worth exploring. Right. Here's 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 what Taylor said. This isn't. I gotta read this. This is from Libs of TikTok a couple of hours ago. Taylor Lorenz harassed an account yesterday with a similar name in a desperate attempt to fish for information. I'm now I'm reading what Taylor Lorenz wrote to this other anonymous Twitter account. <laughs> um, there's some redacted. Is uh, is that your account? Please let me know ASAP because you're being implicated as starting a hate campaign. Wow. Against LGBTQ people. Implicated. What is she, an FBI? She's the FBI? Yeah. If you're unaffiliated with the account, I want to be sure to set the record straight. Yeah, it's this like, this is when when somebody from the mafia comes in and says... You got a real nice house. Real nice house. Be a shame if there was a fire. Yeah. Uh, so, it's that understanding. It's That's what... Right. That's what it's intimidation. It's, it, it, yeah, that's what gasses these people up to do this is because they know they're like... Yeah, it's time to ruin a life. Yeah, I've got power. Yeah, they're really fired it's up about disgusting. it. It's disgusting. It's like you, so messed up. And what's so crazy about this is you've heard from the Washington Post and a bunch of other places of the threat to democracy, right? Everything is a threat. Trump is a threat to democracy. Voting uh, reforms are a threat to democracy. You know, let me tell you what the threat to democracy is. The government itself has absolutely no ability to police speech right. on itself. Right. Democracy isn't a safe space. When democracy is actually threatened is, is when people like Taylor the Renz enforce this worldview amongst millions where people are afraid to express themselves right. the way that they express themselves, right? And, and and the funny thing about this to me is anybody with this like Judeo-Christian values that subscribes to, you know, like a conservative cultural worldview is somehow so far out of the mainstream to this woman that she needs to unmask them and try to make their life hell. That's what's a threat to democracy, folks. Right. That when you've empowered people like this to try to enforce a a a, a worldview that is just completely counterculture to the vast majority of Americans itself, like, this is the crazy. This right. is the all, crazy. All I have to say is thank God that we've had a regularly scheduled election every two years in this country where people can walk into a ballot box and cast their own opinion without fear of reprisal because what she is doing to people, intimidating them, it only turns people off, I think. Yeah. I, think it tur- I think it turns I don't people know. off. The, I, it, this is... On just like a very primal level, it's just incredibly disgusting because what she's doing is she just wants to cut people off from their livelihood. She's like, if you disagree with the current thing, our message, our side, 
you should not have a livelihood, your children should starve, you should not be able to afford to have a roof over your head, and the entire left has taken this position as acceptable. You know, it's and they're enforced way now by the, the power of the Amazon Washington Post. That's it. And then she can get on national television and talk about how people will take a little thing from your life and try to ruin your life and then cry. And then as if she is the victim. As, as this is a Greenwich, Connecticut heiress who's going after people, regular, regular Americans, and she's the victim. Right. It's just it's incredible. So, so part of this was previewed uh, the night before. By Christina uh, Pushaw, who is our friend at DeSantis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, she was on fire. And she sent, well, she sent, Taylor sent an email saying, Hi, Christina, I'm a tech reporter at the Washington Post. A tech reporter. This lady's a tech reporter now? We are running a story exposing a woman behind the libs of TikTok. Exposing. Yeah. There right you there. go. Exposing. Exactly. Exposing oh, the woman behind libs of TikTok account. Our story mentions your many interactions with the account in praise of it. If you'd like to offer a comment, please let me know within the next hour. <laughs> you can give me a ring if you'd prefer. Um, so now she's brought in the DeSantis office yeah. in Florida. That's exactly right. You know, and if, if I were a Dem, a Democrat press secretary, and I were writing a story about someone who might be a top contender for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, and I were trying to take out Republican uh, activists out there, I'm not sure I would have done anything differently. That's how you loop it in. But see, and this is why the Washington Post isn't pissed off about this. I'll guarantee you the newsroom at the Washington Post is absolutely humiliated about this experience. (laughs) I guarantee every reporter, no matter how far left they are, if they're an actual reporter in that newsroom, is humiliated by this. The business side of Washington Post, they love every minute of this. Yeah, because they're, I mean, the controversy. Because of what you just said. She knitted together a controversy that is about some anonymous Twitter account, as if that's public news and like need to know type information with a top presidential contender. And you hit like six or seven buzzwords along the way, throw LGBT in the middle of it. And now you got clickbait. Right. Right. And that's that's the formulation that you need to understand as a listener to this program, how we get you under the hood, because that's how this happens. It's not just worldview. It's worldview with people like Taylor Lorenz. It's also the reason the people enable people like her. It's a business model. It's a business Look, I, model. I think it's all it's important. You made a you made a great point. I'm going to get I'm going to get a lot of shit for what I'm about to say. The Washington Post has a bunch of people, reporters and editors who are trying to do the right thing. No, they don't. And I know you disagree, but there are there they, are actually some there are. There are. They're, they 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 value journalism, they value objectivity, and they value the story uh, above above partisanship. It might not seem that way all the time, but those people exist. I know they exist. I know them personally. This is not that. What Taylor Lorenz did is a complete departure from what that what most of the people at the paper try to do on I mean a daily knocking basis. knocking on the doors of her family that's, that's on the doors on the doors of the family of an anonymous Twitter account I mean that's just intimidation what's the public need for right that? right 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 if the Twitter account was like I don't know run by uh Tucker Carlson or like a member of Congress like then you could get me there yeah she's not you, a Senate candidate right, right. <laughs> you know it's totally like, 
I mean, there's no public need for this information at all, except for to try to bully and shut down this account. That's it. That's the only thing that they're trying to do. They're trying to separate this woman from her livelihood. Right. What, what was what was the what was the additional newsworthy material you're going to get from knocking on her? I don't know her parents' door, or sister's door, or brother's door, or whatever. What, what what is that? It's intimidation. Intimidation. That's all it is. That's yes. all it is. If, and, and, and if there are any reporters or journalists of integrity at Washington Post, I'd like to see them speak up. Oh. I, I it's been critics. It's been crickets. I remember seeing Maggie telling Taylor like. Basically, you're not a journalist. You're talking about Maggie Haberman yeah. at the New York Times. Yeah. She basically like, yeah. shouted her out of the she New York like, Times. She like, get the fuck out of here. Right. Well, right. I, think, I think Smug brings up a very good point. You know, let's put your it, money where your mouth is. The airwaves are yours. Yeah. The airwaves are yours. I mean, Maggie yours. did it. She was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, yeah. No, it's true. Be fucking serious. It's true. Which actually ties into our interview uh, later on that I'll, I'll get to. Because that, that is one thing that Ines Cantor brought up. Is that he just wanted one just one person to join him in condemning things and nobody would do it. So, so that's a good, that's a good segue. We'll keep it, keep it uh, smooth there. But this is a story. The second piece of this that I think dovetails very well Mm -hmm. in that yesterday morning, this is unbelievable. It's really something. This is unbelievable. So people are tweeting like crazy showing videos, like the one we opened the program with. Right. Of, of the announcement that you can take your masks off on, on the plane. Right? Man, I really wish I was on a plane. <laughs> that would have been so much fun. So I don't know if you have this pulled up in front of you, old man, if you want to read the original tweet that this gentleman put out satirically. Oh, yes. Uh, this is from Jared uh, Rebel. I boarded a plane today with my son, and mid-flight, the pilot announces that the mask mandate is over. Flight attendants pulled off their masks and sneezed directly into their hands while screaming, quote, this is MAGA airspace. My son turned to me in tears. I don't know what to do. So it's like, it's obviously like a, a part Juicy Smollett. Yeah, Juicy. <laughs> right? Yeah. Do, like, yeah, this is MAGA country in Chicago. Yeah. And it's also just part hilarity. Well, it's making fun of this is a, 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 a there's a little motif in in journalism Twitter of people claiming they were on a subway or they're on a bus and some kid said something about Donald Trump and how do I explain that? You know what I mean? Yeah, right. This was a whole thing of just made up stories that they did in the Trump era for clicks and likes and retweets. So this person, again, a private person. It's just doing a little satire. It's doing a little satire. Very funny. Yeah. Satire, I might add. It was promptly reached out to by a reporter at the New York Times. Amazing, right? So this this reporter at the uh, New York Times, Victoria Kim, DMs Jared and says, Hi, Jared, I'm a uh, New York Times journalist, and I'd love to speak to you over the phone about what happened on your flight this evening. Can you give me a call at, and then gives her number, uh, or let me know how I can reach you? Hope this isn't coming too late for your day. Thank you. Look forward to hearing from you. <laughs> that... So it gives you, like, as to everything we were talking about with Taylor Lorenz and the business model of journalism and everything else and the, and the worldview and enforcing your worldview. Imagine thinking as a journalist at the New York Times, you're in the major leagues here. Mm-hmm. This is not some blog. This is the, the old gray lady. This is, the, this is the type of the top. Reaching out to a random Twitter account to share a story that's clearly satirical about their experience. Right. I mean, because if because if the person responded affirmatively, 
they would have a story. That's right. journalism. Yeah. That's what journalism is about. The best is the response, though. Hello, Victoria. I would love to discuss the incident at your earliest convenience. I was pretty upset about the whole thing. Unfortunately, it's satire that only someone at the New York Times would believe. In my <laughs> in my time of contemplation, I was wondering how your team deals with the multitude of false stories you peddle out daily and use as political propaganda. And if you could give me advice on how to take my satire to the next level. Get him. Get him. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow what a hero that's such a great troll man what a hero right very uh, creative I that's really... kind of up your alley smug that's it that's a... i mean that's the thing is is that journalists their entire world view exists only on twitter and it's just it's it's damaging for 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 uh twitter itself it's it's damaging for the state of journalism like they you know i'd, I'd mentioned earlier the silos where it's like they are so shut in. They have such blinders to the point that they think the most obvious slap you in the face satire is real. Yep. I mean, their their worldview, everything has become skewed. I mean, that is the value of satire and comedy. And, and to some extent, trolling itself is that sometimes it's that process that reveals the theater of it all. There you go. Right. <laughs> So here's the story that gave rise to almost all of this, which is a judge throwing out the federal mask mandate for public transportation. A long time coming in many of our estimations. Uh, the judge who just overturned the mask mandate, I'm, I'm quoting here, uh, on airplanes is Catherine Kimball Mazel, 35-year-old former Clarence Thomas clerk, appointed by Trump and confirmed by the Senate right in the lame duck session uh, that ended in 2020. Well, folks. God look, bless America. You heard us talk for a long time about the importance of judges. It's not always the sexiest thing. It's, it, But it is incredibly important. But there Incredibly was, important. There was no other way to get this done. Look, you have Democrat majorities in the House and the Senate that have presided over mask mandates forever. And there was no chance on this planet or any other that they were going to turn back on any of them. I mean, philosophically, it's pretty clear. When you think about it this way, the purpose of a judge is to uphold the Constitution. Their job is not to get, you know, run for election. Their job is not to, to have a, a great social media campaign so right. that they can get, a, you know. They're not trying to please anyone. They're not anyone. trying to be AOC on Instagram. And, right. you know, you don't need to make anyone think you're cool. Your job is simple enforce the constitution that's it that's the, it the, the writing is there you know just follow the letter of the constitution somebody else did the hard work and, and and that's the thing is that you know when 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 you can have shifting political wins when you can have who has the majority of the house and the senate who's got the white house at the end of the day you want to have a line in the sand of the constitution will be upheld well, and that's what judges well are. and there was a, there was a time during the trump administration particularly after you know the 2018 midterm in which we lost the house where like judges is pretty much all we could do. Yeah. Right. And I know it's frustrating to people when you're like, well, can't get anything else done here. We got the you know president of the United States. We got the Senate. But, you know, it like you were saying earlier, it wasn't sexy at the time, but it's paying dividends. Well, it's it, it makes more of an important impact on the lives of Americans than anything you could do legislating could have. Right. And right? I mean, I, this administration has shown time and again the value of judges when like 
uh, Biden caved to what was it, Cory Bush, who who was like yeah. sleeping on the steps of the yeah did unconstitutional did, rent did, moratorium totally, and then they were like yeah basically we will do something illegal unconstitutional yeah, we're happy to until do until a judge stops us and the mandates and, and the mandates all of this is basically this administration the Dems who control the White House the House the the, the Senate. They're basically their their motto is we will do unconstitutional shit until we're stopped by a judge, and that's the the great the irony to this for me, you know, having a different perspective on the the sort of feud between McConnell and Trump. The greatest thing that any conservative governing coalition could have accomplished, they accomplished. Yeah, I mean the Supreme yeah, Court and the they, judges. That's, that's, they, that's exactly right. They laid a time bomb down for the next administration that did not allow them to operate outside the confines of the law. Bingo. That is an unbelievable accomplishment. It cannot be overstated. The fact of the matter is we would still be living inside of our homes yeah. if not for judges yeah. who said you can't do that shit. And the reality is Democrats are so afraid of their own shadows on a variety of things. But I thought it was interesting that when she made the ruling, there was there was a lot of belly aching from the press. But uh, as we heard at the very beginning of the program, the TSA, which is Joe Biden's administration, said, oh, well, the judge said, so uh, I guess no more masks on the planes. So, you, you, I mean, some folks may have seen Jen Psaki saying that this is going to result in chaos in reaction to a liberal question. But the reality is, it pushes Democrats to a place they would never otherwise go. Well, they, they couldn't go there, they couldn't. right? Because their base is up against the political reality that they don't want anything changed. They want triple masks in perpetuity. Even and, though the science, and that's, that's the other angle of this, is that the science has said among the safest places to be right. is inside an airplane where the air is circulated out like every five seconds. You're safer inside the airplane than the terminal. Right. So, so it's it's complete asinine to hold on to this. It's just, they just can't let go of it. You know what another really fun wrinkle to this story is, though? Is that we talked about on Tuesday the, the sort of racial animus in the far left mm -hmm. when it doesn't fit their worldview with right. the Herschel Walker oh, yeah. story. Well, there's some misogyny in there, too. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, it, it came out so quickly. It came out so quickly. So quickly. So... Right away. Wait, Sam it came out from Republicans? Nope. Sure oh, no, didn't. of course not. Oh, sure didn't. Okay. So Sam Stein, who's an editor at Politico, hmm. tweeted within moments, the judge who made this ruling, Catherine Kimball, is 35 years old, hmm. was confirmed at the age of 33 during a lame duck, Judiciary Matters. Is that an activist statement or what? I mean, this guy works at Politico? He's like, well, we got a 35-year-old broad trying to tell me what to do. That's basically yeah, that's what, that's what, that's what he's saying. He, he, that's he, what he's saying. He hasn't always worked at Politico. It's, he started his career in, in partisan politics. But it never really rubbed off. That's the funny thing. Like, you can see this cascade throughout the Twitter left is that you've got this young uppity woman mm -hmm. who's decided... That she knows better. Yeah, would they ever say that about AOC, who's 32 years old? No, of course absolutely, not. Absolutely not. The other thing that incenses them is that she uh, she clerked for an American hero who they don't think belongs on the Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas. Right. Right. American hero. Right. 
Well, listen, I think that this is one of the better decisions uh, that has been made in a long time. It, it goes hand in hand with the end of mandates, with the end of, of all kinds of terrible COVID policies that we're basically forcing the left to deal with. It's not like they want to deal with it. We're forcing now, but here's my reminder. Do not forget, despite the fact that life will get better, do not forget who put it in that in the first place. Yep. Do not forget what they would have you be doing right now. Right. If not for the courts. Right. Because that shit is ultimately what you got to take with you to the ballot box in November. That's right. Because they'll do it again at the first opportunity. Right. And if they have power long enough, they'll change the judiciary back. They'll get to a point where judges will do the opposite. And they may legislate themselves from the bench and tell you wear a mask or worse, you know, worse. So anyway, fellas, let's get to this interview. This is Ennis Cantor, uh, NBA star and Senator Kevin Craig. Well, this is a very first for the Variety program. We have a United States senator and an NBA star appearing simultaneously on the program. I want to welcome North Dakota Senator Kevin Kramer and Ennis Cantor Freedom. Welcome, gentlemen. I thought you were going to say Bill Bradley. Then you'd have both in one. It'd be a lot easier. (laughs) (laughs) Not so today. Not so today. Not so today. Well, listen, we're really excited to talk to you all. And and Ennis, let me just start with you. One day you're starting in the NBA. You decide to speak out on human rights abuses. Next thing you know, you got this guy dragging you around North Dakota. It's been kind of a journey, hasn't it? How do you know? <laughs> no, it's a, it's an amazing friendship because obviously we met in DC, and uh, I was actually was talking in a in a Senate lunch for you know Republicans, and uh, we had an amazing conversation. And obviously, after the you know conversation, we're just you know chatting and stuff, and he invited me to North Dakota. And this is actually my second time uh, coming here. Not, it's not my first time. Is that right? You, you had another yeah. occasion to venture into North Dakota. <laughs> so my first time, I, was, I did another basketball camp here. But uh, no, it, it's been amazing. You know, I, I wanted to come here and obviously hang out uh, with him and, uh, and the people of North Dakota. So, so far, besides being too cold, it's been, it's been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, so by way of background, I think almost everybody's heard of you, Ennis, but by, by way of background, playing in the NBA, doing well, I mean, mm-hmm. really just a, an incredible career in the making. Um, and you decide because of your background, or you, you mm-hmm. grew up in Turkey, to start speaking out about human rights abuses. Right. Um, now we can go to the venture of, of, of where that's landed for you here today, but what about your experience in, in coming to America and, and playing in the NBA sort of focused your mind on human rights? Um, well, it was amazing. The reason I, was, I came here back in 2009, I was 17 years old. The reason I came here because my family was all about education and they wanted me to come here and go to school and play basketball at the same time. So I came here, went to prep school, went to college in Kentucky. Then I got drafted by uh, Utah Jazz in 2011. And it was an amazing experience. Obviously, from day one, the people in, in America opened their arm and gave me a warm uh, welcome. So they were very uh, respectful and they were very, you know, warm, welcoming people. You know, and then, uh, you know, my first couple of years in the league, I only cared about, you know, was playing basketball and hang out with my teammates. Yeah. And then obviously after that, you know, the, the, there was some you know, problems happening in my home country, Turkey, and I started to speak up 
And then I was like, well, this is, this is very interesting. This is bigger than basketball. It, it affects people's life and it touches people's hearts. So I'm like, from now on, I'm going to, you know, pay attention about what's going on in my home country more and more. Yeah. Well, what's so interesting about you, and I, I imagine this is how Senator Kramer got to know you, is that most people who spend as much time sort of focused on human rights abuse, they tend to be sort of sour, dull, and very serious people. <laughs> Right. And you're like personality plus. Right. This is this is a you you do the serious work, but you also have a ton of personality. And I imagine Senator Kramer, that was probably one of the things that stood out to you when he visited the Senate lunch. Uh, Josh, I would go so far as to say it's unfair how much personality (laughs) Hannes has. I mean, look at him for crying out loud. He's got everything in the world going for him and which makes his proclamation and the sacrifices he's made to speak out all the more impressive. The boldness of, of his proclamation is as impressive as, as the content of it. And um, there's no question that just to tell you, I mean, we were with 150 young kids yesterday, you know, grade school through high school, shoot, shooting buckets and doing a, a basketball camp. And he had every single one of them eaten out of the palm of his hand just by virtue of his smile, his personality, obviously being, you know, nearly seven feet tall is, is impressive. Um, it helps, <laughs> but you're absolutely right, Josh. That's, that's what attracts me. And by the way, it's what I think attracts people from all political stripes to Annis and to his message. His message, like Annis, is really universal. Yeah, no, 100%. And that, well, almost universal. Right. Almost. Right. Yeah, Almost universal. What Ennis found out is is unfortunately some of the business considerations in the NBA yeah. are they have a mute button uh, with China yeah. in particular. And as you have expanded um, your platform to speak yeah. out about human rights abuses around the world, you stumbled onto a topic that the NBA wasn't so wild about. Uh-huh. You know, unfortunately, you know, like you said, NBA does have a mute button. And when you talk about some of the things that is going to affect their business or money or jersey sales or shoe sales, they're going to do everything they can to, you know, uh, keep you uh, silenced. And unfortunately, you know, that is the, the, the one thing that really frustrates me is the hypocrisy. You know, when two years ago, you see what, what was happening in NBA when the, all the Black Lives Matter protests were happening. NBA was the first organization went out there and said, hey, you know, we stand with our players. We encourage everyone to speak up about whatever they want to uh, talk about. Right. And then two years later, this happened. That is the one thing that really frustrates me, the hypocrisy. Well, I bet it's, it's sort of confusing, too. Right. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you're surrounded by a league that is telling you that justice is the most important thing. It it transcends (laughs) basketball, it transcends sport. And you're like, okay, um, well, that makes sense to me because I've been speaking about these issues too. And then they're like, well, not that kind of justice. Yes. I mean, uh, it's, I mean, see, you know, they have a business to run, but same time, then don't come out there and say, you know, this is bigger than basketball and we need to come out and talk about some of the things that happen, happen in our country, you know? I mean, uh, it's, I just wish, I would, my, my only wish was just only one player. I was like praying to God, I was like, God, please send me one player that can stand right next to me mm-hmm. that is going to fight to this system. Unfortunately, none of them had that courage. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough, right? And you're talking about a lot of people that this is their one shot. And, yeah. and so, you know, for a lot of players, I understand 
you know, you got to make a living and this is their one shot to do it. But for those with the biggest platform, that's where it's most disappointing. Ennis. And, and, you know, one player in particular, who I know you've gotten into confrontations with uh, is LeBron James, who, you know, again, fashions himself as a, as a community activist and a, and a seeker of justice throughout the world. And yet again, he has a big problem with you, what you've been saying. I know you've gotten into like, verbal battles over the years uh uh, give me your take on that i mean it's see it's the same way you know two years ago he was actually one of the first players came out and said you know what what, what, like whatever is happening in our country is wrong i'm like okay well then why don't you just speak up about all the human rights violations that are happening all over the world because the company you just signed with nike right is they are all about now justice and this and that, but obviously the whole world knows, now knows about the sweatshops and slave laborers and how he's making uh, money out of it. It's just unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And obviously when you call him out, when you try to hold him accountable, he does. And not just him, but many people, many companies or many players, athletes will get very uncomfortable. And they, they will only uh, talk and care about the things that won't affect their money or pocket. And that is the one thing that I feel like we should expose. Yeah, hundred percent. And and Senator Kramer, I got to imagine bringing a guy with this kind of integrity, right. Who has sacrificed personally, financially so much to talk directly Mm -hmm. to issues that are facing people. It's got to be incredible to be able to bring him around North Dakota, invite him into camps, invite him to kids, have him talk to, to people as somebody who, you know, the kids mm-hmm. see on TV playing basketball. But on the other hand, this is somebody who's who's risked his entire livelihood to do the right thing. Right. Yeah. He, he's really sacrificed it all. And, and starting with his family, when he spoke out against Turkey, so his family's still in Turkey dealing with with Anis's, um you know, personality and popularity here in the United States, they've sacrificed. Now his, his career is sacrificed to speak out against uh, China. And the, the thing that uh, about that that's so gratifying to me is I, I get to introduce him to, to liberals, conservatives, moderates, people who've never thought about these things before, people who, you know, want to know who his favorite teammate is more than, you know, than what his favorite cause is. <laughs> right. And they're all drawn, but to your earlier point, by his personality and his platform. And the fact that he's the only one, while Ennis wishes, and I wish for Ennis, that, that some others would stand beside him uh, from, from the league, the fact he's the only one makes him all the more special. And I think in, in the end has even a more dramatic effect. Now I'm, I'm moved by it. And in, you know, he wants me to introduce legislation to pass it tomorrow. You know, that, that fixes a lot of these things, but what's really important is he's talking to the people I work for. And, and if, you know, if we're going to heal a lot of these things, if we're going to get more united around justice, social justice and, and human rights as, as Republicans and Democrats and everybody in between, it's guys like Ennis, they're going to change that by talking to the people that that we work for, not just talking to us. He's convinced me. Yeah, well, no, no question. How much of this, Ennis, do you think is shaped by your personal perspective in, in coming to the United States, given your background and now becoming an American citizen? Mm-hmm. Is that there's actually a funny story I want to tell you guys. I came here back in 2009 and um I remember one of my teammates, well, I was going to prep school. One of my teammates criticized the president 
right? And I saw You're like, uh oh. <laughs> I, no, I saw his post, right? I immediately like turned around and said, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, what happened? He's like, you just criticized the, you know, the president. You might be in jail tomorrow. <laughs> right. And he started to laugh really hard. And I was very confused. I'm like, why is this guy laughing? I and he turned around and said, Listen, man, this is not Turkey, this is America. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, well, we have freedom of speech, religion, expression, and press here. Just because of you tweet or you say something against the government or the president, trust me, you don't be thrown in jails and stuff. Yeah. And I was very shocked. I, I, and I still didn't understand what he was saying because I never had that growing up. And then obviously, the more I lived here, the more, you know, meet, you know, start meeting people like a senator, you know, I understand what freedom is, freedom is all about. You know, uh, and I'm just keep telling people, you know, people should feel very lucky and blessed to be in a country, be in a situation like here, you know, because there are, I can count tens of, you know, countries out there where you tweet something that you'll be in jail, right. you know, where I, it's funny because I don't, I don't want to say it's funny. It's crazy, but I'm just keeping this, keep giving this example. My, uh, manager's wife's dad, like one of my posts on Twitter, he was in jail for 13 days. Oh, think about it. Yeah. Think about how blessed we are here in America. No kidding. Isn't that encouraging, Josh? That, so this guy comes from Turkey, <laughs> experiences all this stuff, makes these bold statements, you know, ends up sa sacrificing a career and family for it. And he's the one reminding us of how blessed we are. Yeah, I know. That's the, well, that's the special thing about it. And I assume that's that's the impetus behind the name change. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, well, the, the reason I wanted to, you know, take that, you know, last name and put that behind my jersey, especially because, <laughs> you know, I wanted all the kids out there, all the sports fans, all the especially young generation, because if you want to have a better and brighter future, we have to change our young generation's mindset. You know, we have to. So I put that behind my jersey right now. Everywhere I go, people will call me freedom. So obviously because of the social media, because of internet, people, especially the kids, started to research about why this player took that name, you know? So, and then many players, many, you know, coaches or many fans or especially kids started, came up to me and asked me about, hey, you know, thank you for, you know, taking that name. Thank you for standing for freedom. Thank you for standing with our country. You know, and I, I, we did our research and we saw that, you know, bless and lucky we are. So that was pretty much like a little reminder to everyone out there that how, you know, things can get really rough in some of the countries out there in the world. Wow. That is really special. That is a, that's an incredibly thoughtful way of putting that and giving people the opportunity to do their own research and figure out what it is that you are standing for. And let me let me ask you this. You can obviously still play ball. Mm -hmm. um, have you given up? uh another shot at the nba is that just is that a, a reality that is probably at odds with your your stance as an activist at this point or you you hope to get back i mean we were just talking with senator actually just yesterday i mean i'm 29 years old My yeah i'm just gonna say you're a young man i mean <laughs> i can play another six seven years yeah you know and i I'm a type of guy that I try to play every game, even if I'm like a little hurt. I I just love the game, you know. And obviously, the this platform is giving me by God first, and then this second. Obviously, you know, NBA is giving me a platform to talk about whatever I want to talk about. So I do not want to quit basketball. Mm -hmm. I still want to play, and I'm 29, and I do want to go out there and win a championship 
you know, I want to battle with my teammates and have fun. So, I mean, I understand, you know, some of the things that I'm talking that can, you know, cause a lot of problems for some people. Uh, but it is a fight. It is a good fight that has to be uh, given. But, you know, I don't want to quit basketball. Yeah, no, I, I can understand. In the meantime, you can post up Kramer over there and see if you can. Uh, <laughs> He's got a higher standard. Than that. <laughs> so, Senator Kramer, did you did you know Ennis? Do you know of Ennis before you met him in the Senate launch? Well, I did know of him. And actually, Ennis and I met at dinner the evening before um, with Senator Langford and Senator Lee. Um, we have a fellowship group um, of yeah. friends, people you know. And uh, and Senator Langford actually invited Ennis. And then we, uh, Senator Langford was late, but don't we, it's okay. Um, and so we all got to know Ennis really well. Uh, so I did know of him. And then he came to lunch the, you know, next, the next day with Republican senators. In fact, I bumped into him getting into the uh, elevator. And, and it, it occurred to me how special that that was and and it occurred to Ennis how special that was that that, that you know you you bump into people in, you know in the United States Capitol when yeah. you're trying to influence the, the you know the country it's it's pretty cool so he's going to be a lobbyist now but anyway that's another that's another story <laughs> if the NBA thing doesn't turn out believe me he's gonna, he's going to be fine anyway um so I did I, I knew about him um but I didn't know him and then when I did get to know him it doesn't take long Josh as you can tell I mean you get to know his heart pretty yeah. quickly. And it's, it's quite remarkable. And so unfortunately for him, I invited him to North Dakota before, uh, you know, before he, uh, you know, started this new career of a, you know, professional advocate around the country. And he came here with me. It's a, it's a remarkable thing. And I'm, I'm blessed by it. Well, it's good. It's a good partnership. I'm glad you're doing it. And I want I want to talk to you just for a minute about you're drafted into the NBA, right? Mm -hmm. This is a dream come true. Clearly. Of course. Uh, what was that experience like coming from where you came from, getting into this just unbelievably large, I mean, incredible organization that everyone focuses on and all of a sudden you're a star in this country? I mean, that had to have been in and of itself sort of a, a jarring change of reality for you. You know, I remember the first time that I hear my name in a draft night. You know, they said from Turkey. So that made me obviously really proud because I was representing, which they think I'm the enemy of the state, but I was representing my country, representing my family, representing my people, right? And uh, it was it was a very special night because my whole life I worked for that moment yeah. to become an NBA player. Um, once, you know, I get an NBA, I was like, well, the job is not done. Job is just starting. That's right. what a lot of players were just saying, you know, because they think when a player gets drafted, okay, they made it. No, they're actually just starting. So yeah, there's a new uh, draft first... class every year trying to replace you, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, my, my first uh, couple of years, I had so, so much fun with my teammates. And obviously my first year, we actually made the uh, playoffs with Utah Jazz. And it was, a, it was an amazing uh, state, really good uh, people. And uh, Mormons were really, really uh, nice to me, really warm people. Um, you know, and then after that, I got, you know, traded to Oklahoma City Thunder. And, you know, obviously with Senator Langford and some couple other people uh, from day one, they gave me a really warm uh, welcome. And then I got traded to New York Knicks. Uh, 
Yeah. It was a very wild <laughs> lifestyle. <laughs> it was a little different than Oklahoma City. Oh, God. <laughs> it was it was a very different experience. I always wanted to play for like a big city. And I was like, well, I don't know if I want to play for a big city anymore. <laughs> you know, it was a, the, the, no, the, the Knicks were amazing. Obviously, it's Madison Square Garden. It's the Knicks. It's It was was amazing but yeah, then it's obviously mecca basketball to... right i mean it's uh yeah. it's everything at the same time there's a lot of scrutiny that comes along with it right yeah, that market yeah, yeah and then uh, i'm in, uh, and then i played for portland and boston and then i played in 11 years in the league and um it's, it's, it's been a, a such a you know a fun time now looking back having you know battling with my teammates and going out there and just you know try to win every game and you know, you play through some injuries sometimes and, you know, you win games, you lose games. So it, it, it was, it was really cool. It was yeah, really cool. And also you, you have a favorite. You get to a, go ahead. Yeah. Do you have a favorite season amongst all of those? I mean, I know you played uh, with Westbrook when he was sort of in the MVP right. conversation, you, you had, you're surrounded by a lot of, a lot of great players and a lot of great teams. Do you have a favorite? I think my favorite season was when I was with Portland when we made the conference finals yeah. against Golden State. So that was definitely my favorite uh, season. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, before I, I have three questions that I need to ask each of you that we you ask okay. each of our, our, our people on the, on the interviews that are the things that everybody listens to. But before I get that, I know you've been paying close attention to the NBA playoffs. Who's the team to beat here, Anis? Ooh, you know, if I had to pick one team that is going to go all the way, I think I'm going with Phoenix. Is that right? Yeah, well, it doesn't yeah. surprise me. They, they I, think, I think, you know, they couldn't get it, you know, last year. But I think this year they have a really good chance to, you know, win it all. And obviously, I think Chris Paul is, just needs to do it this year. Everyone, right. is cheering, everyone is cheering for him. So, yeah, and, and I love their coach. Their coaches were very special. So, I'll probably say Phoenix. No, that's good. That's a good pick. We'll, we'll watch and, and see if you're right. I have a feeling you might be. Um, all right. So, here are the three questions. The first question is, if you could plan your last meal on Earth, Senator Kramer, I'm going to start with you on this because I feel like if it's not good in North Dakota, you're in deep trouble. Uh, First of all, I want you to know that I've been having dinner with Ennis last night and he's (laughs) he's fasting for Ramadan. Yeah, but he can eat at 845 at night and he eats three meals at once. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) It's just very impressive. Let's just say. Anyway, he's a growing boy. He's 29. So anyway, yeah, it would be a North Dakota meal for sure. Um, Josh, I would, I'd probably have a a large uh, prime rib cooked medium uh, with some veggies and, and really good potatoes for sure. That sounds exactly like what I would expect. That. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's perfect. Ennis, what do you got? Oh God. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. I think I, I think I'm gonna go with pizza, pizza <laughs> and cheesecake. Yeah, that's wow. very. Yeah, pizza it. and cheesecake. I guess he's, his NBA career is over. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer, though. That's a good right. answer, Senator Kramer. I'm gonna start with you on this too because I, I I'm interested. I, I've thought about asking you this for a while. If you never got into politics, if you never got into public service in any regard, you had sort of a blue sky in terms of what you could do with all that time in your life. What would it be? Yeah, boy. Um, you know, it's interesting, Josh, because that, that's that's a changing answer for me. 
like right now, what I would like to be would be an NBA owner. So I could hire Ennis oh, and just man. tell the rest of them to pound sand. You know, that that's really right. That's how I feel right now. If I could you better get out to Bach and get in the oil business. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Unfortunately, <laughs> my family stopped at Minnewakan, you know, in Benson County. You know where that is. They, they put rocks instead of oil, you know. And anyway, no, that's what that's what I would do today if I if I could do anything. I love that. And it's same question. If you if you didn't get into the NBA and you had uh, all well, I mean, politics was always my passion. You know, politics, especially when you see leaders like uh, Senator Kramer. But, you know, if no politics, if no, if no, any kind of sports, I think I will go with being an astronaut, you know, because oh, yeah. space, space was just always so interesting to me. And um, oh I think it's something very fascinating. But, you know, I came to America. I remember uh, I was going to Kentucky and one of my teachers asked me, like, what do you want to be if you, you know, didn't want to be a basketball player? I said, astronaut. You know, he really... <laughs> destroyed my dreams because they don't make the space suits big enough for you. So that literally destroyed my dreams. In Kentucky, the only thing that he could have said that would have destroyed it more is being a jockey. Because I don't think that would work from a size perspective yeah, exactly. either. <laughs> so I know I know the head of the University of North Dakota School of Aerospace Sciences um, um, space suit uh, oh, wow. lab really well. Dr. Pablo De Leon. So we're going to make we're going to okay. talk to Pablo. He, you know, they he now makes them on a printer. He, he can oh, wow. create okay. spacesuits uh, on a 3D printer. A uh, I just foot. saw his lab down at NASA a yes. couple weeks ago. Yeah. Well, they can, maybe seven they can foot. print the seven foot version of it and see there if we can. can't they make may it. Have to make, they have to make the capsule bigger too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway. Well, That's Elon good. Musk is sending people to space every once in a while. You might be on a short list with that. It seems like you have a lot of things in common, honestly, Ennis. Um, all right, here's the last question. And you got to follow me on this because it's a little esoteric, but the way we see it, people are generally motivated by one of two things. It's either the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And it's not that anybody enjoys defeat, right? It, it's that the, the thrill of victory person is a kind of a glass half full, sunny optimist, always trying to accomplish the next thing in front of them. The agony of defeat person is basically defined by Michael Jordan, right? This is a person whose every success has ever had in life. It lasts for like three minutes. And every defeat or setback they've ever had, they wear like a backpack vowing never to repeat it and, and to try to gain higher and higher and higher than they, than they previously are. So, Anis, I'm going to start with you on this one. Okay. Thrill of victory or agony of defeat? What do you mean? What motivates? <laughs> what would motivate? Oh, what motivates me? Okay. Yeah, what would motivate um, you? I think, you know, I think I would just say our young generation. You know, it is so important to just inspire them because, I mean, now with all the social media, with, you know, internet and everything, right, they follow your footsteps and they they pretty much like, look, everything you're doing is a big responsibility. It's a really good responsibility, but it's a, it's, it's a, a tough one because, I mean, you be, you're becoming a role model and you can inspire millions of people out there, especially the kids. And if you want to have a better and brighter future, we have to educate and inspire our young generation i think so every time i go out there every time i put on my shoes and that is the one thing that is in my uh, mind i'm like what can i do to inspire our young generation so they can have a better and brighter uh, future that is a thrill of victory guy if i've ever heard of it uh, isn't it though yeah, it, isn't is. it though it yeah. is how about senator kramer where are you on this scale so it's interesting you know i've had a lot of success josh but um it, it followed a lot of failure 
And, uh, you know, I ran for Congress and lost three times before I ran and won. And I haven't lost since. And I would say the thrill of victory, I'd like to celebrate victory, but I'll, I'll be honest, I've I've learned a lot more in failure and whether it's a race for Congress or, or, or a piece of legislation that you're going to have to wait till the next term and the next term, you know, how all that goes, Josh, I, I would say though, I'm motivated. I'm motivated by the prize, the, the outcome at the other end. So, but, but whether I'm inspired, I probably am motivated as much by the, by the agony of defeat, but only because I, I want, I still want the prize. That, yeah. That's, that's the agony of defeat guy though. You just articulated the agony of defeat guy. That, yeah. that, that's it. It's not that anybody ever enjoys losing or they don't enjoy right. winning. It's, it's what motivates you more. And I got to tell you, Ennis, uh, you're, you're walking around North Dakota with a good guy. I don't know anybody that I tried harder to recruit to run <laughs> for Senate than Kevin Kramer. Thank goodness he did it. Cause he's a magnificent Senator. And I, I know you guys are having a blast out there. Yeah, right. Josh, now that I think about it, you were pretty persuasive in that hunt. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, listen, Ennis, for those who want to help you out, want to learn more, want to understand what it is that you're up to, where can they find you? Uh, where do we direct them? I'm going to have a website, nsfreedom.org. You know, they can pretty much just go onto that website and learn everything that I'm trying to do, you know? Yeah. So, and, uh, and, and trust me, I'm not doing anything for myself I'm trying to do everything I can to just help people uh, out there because you know they need a voice they need uh, and many people out there are unfortunately not as blessed as we are so we need to be their voice and we need to uh, help those uh, people out so nsfreedom.org and they can just go there and, and check it out nsfreedom uh you are an inspiration to a whole lot of us and I, I can't thank you enough for what you're doing senator kramer thanks for the, the platform here and, and, and giving us some time today. My pleasure. Sure. Thanks for your interest, Josh. Take care guys. Um, what's not to like. Yeah. Fantastic. You know, I mean, the guy's just, a. here's what, like my takeaway after talking to him, first of all, it's all smiles, you know, it's just like a, a happy to be, he's an American. He's so happy to be an American and he just constantly reinforces to everyone around him how lucky we are. Like, do we understand how lucky we are? Yep. And this is coming from a guy who sacrificed his own multi-million dollar livelihood to speak to human rights abuses that he sees across the world. Um, when when he knows, like, the NBA is, like, super pushing to break into China. Right. Yeah. It's it, it's incredible. It's, it's amazing. And Kevin Kramer, always a friend of the program, loved it. Uh, I think we did it again, fellas. Yeah, absolutely. Absolute banger of a show, gentlemen. And again, this is a, a three-episode week, so, you know, the, the content will flow. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the lids. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.